Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry. Only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands. All hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. This is the Damian Darling, and you're listening to Stu's Wrestling Podcast. You're listening to Stu's Wrestling Podcast. It's time... Your host, Stu Palmer! This is episode 124 of Stu's Wrestling Podcast, and I've got a treat for you, my listeners and viewers. It's none other than pro wrestling historian, a man synonymous with pro wrestling for over 50 years. It's Mr. John Arezzi. John has worked many facets of the pro wrestling media journalism area of the business. He had John Arezzi's Pro Wrestling Spotlight, which is a radio show many, many years ago. And in more modern times, it's a podcast that he does. So much history that he's been around in the business. And it was awesome to hear about what he's done in the business. He discusses him and Vince Russo despising one another many, many years ago, but they are now on good terms. They are friends, so he's got a lot to say as it pertains to Vince Russo. He talks about Vince McMahon leaving WWE. That's a current thing going on. And we also got to hear his thoughts about being a guest at StarCast 5 recently in Nashville SummerSlam weekend. He also talks about Ric Flair's last match. He wasn't in attendance, but he watched it live online on television and he's got a lot to say about that but yeah john has done so much he's also got john arezzi's pro wrestling map memories his book which is out and available you can get a copy from him it's also available from a lot of book outlets too so my guest today all the way from nashville by way of new york it is pro wrestling historian a man who is synonymous with the pro wrestling business for over 50 years it's mr john arezzi enjoy my guest today, all the way from Nashville in Tennessee, is pro wrestling historian, the host of John Arezzi's Pro Wrestling Spotlight podcast. The man has been in pro wrestling in so many different guises for so many years. And John, what a pleasure, what an absolute pleasure it is for me having you on Stu's Wrestling Podcast today, sir. Well, Stu, it's great to be here with you. Uh, I really appreciate the invitation. So thank you. 
Not a problem, not a problem. Now, with it being fresh in the mind, and it's been just this past weekend, you were at StarCast, Comrade Thompson had invited you, you've been with all the talent, you've been around it over the weekend. How was StarCast? I've got to ask you that first and foremost. Oh, uh, yeah, StarCast was an amazing event. I mean, Conrad Thompson, as I sent him an email yesterday, because uh, he gave me some passes for the weekend, and I, I just said, you know, you're a visionary you're, uh, you know, he has changed the game. I mean, he's a, he's a groundbreaking promoter, convention promoter. Uh, what he's done uh, with podcasting, uh, he really, you know, was a guy who was um, in, and still is in the mortgage business and uh, here in the States and had a passion for wrestling, married Ric Flair's daughter, uh, uh, which kind of got him in a little bit, but uh, he has taken... Uh, the bull by the horns and he and he did a fabulous event uh walking around the convention area uh over two days and seeing legends mixed with today's stars and you know, all the other events the panels with mick foley and soraya who was page and and the four horsemen and, and matt hardy i mean there was something for every wrestling fan there uh, it was an amazing experience from the Ric Flair roast on Friday night through the convention, the matches, the autograph sessions, the panels, and finishing up with uh, what was a uh, very cool card on Sunday night, which was billed as Ric Flair's last match. I'm, I'm hearing mixed stuff. As it pertains to the match itself, what are your thoughts? I haven't seen the match yet. Yeah. I'm normally, I'm normally relatively positive, and I kind of, you know, have my own opinion on stuff. I don't, you know, I'm not fueled by other people's opinions. But how did you feel it went? Obviously, first and foremost, Flair's match, and then some of the other matches on the card. Yeah, no disrespect to anyone, uh, but Ric Flair should have never went and competed in the ring. Uh, that was, it was the only time I didn't, I was not there live. I decided to watch okay. it on fight TV. Uh, I didn't go to the show, but, um, I felt, uh, uh, I wanted to be, I didn't want to be there, uh, because it was crowded and, you know, I, I you didn't know what time you're going to get out of there and who knows what I just, I just wasn't in the mood, but anyway, uh, the match itself and, and I have, I have my own personal viewpoints on it and may, they may not be accurate. Uh, but Ric Flair, from uh, he trained so hard for this, and he looked okay in those training sessions that were posted on social media. He looked like he could carry a few things off, like he was suplexed off the top. Uh, he was running the ropes a little bit better. Uh, but when it came to the weekend, the roast on Friday night, which ended really late, and I don't know if Rick and Rick is traditionally a party. There was an after-show party. And the guy's 73 years old with a pacemaker. So uh, Friday night, maybe he had a very long night. Maybe alcohol, maybe not. Saturday, running around StarCast uh, with the panels and the autograph stuff and the interviews. Uh, and then, you know, whatever was going on Saturday night. Uh, and then Sunday, uh, here you go. A 73-year-old guy getting into the ring. And I knew from the minute he walked out from the curtain that he didn't look right to me. Uh, and uh, uh, it was sad. I mean, it was the only time ever that I was yelling at a TV screen to stop the match. 
because they literally thought that Rick was going to die in the ring. He looked like he was about to take his last breath. He couldn't perform uh, to anywhere. You know, you're talking about Ric Flair being, you know, as some say the best that ever laced up a pair of boots. I would say we saw maybe 1% of what that guy was in his prime. It was scary. It was uh, frightening. And, um, and this is not anything against Conrad Thompson or, uh, you know, Jeff Jarrett was fabulous as a heel. He looked, he uh, Jay Lethal, he was he fantastic. Looked, he played he the amazing. role perfectly. He was amazing. Lethal was amazing. Andrade was amazing. The match had everything it needed, with the exception of the performance of the guy that it was supposed to honor. And, um, and I don't know if all those other factors had something to do with it. Whether at 73 years old, you know, with the lifestyle that Rick has led and this StarCast weekend with filled with events, he looked exhausted when he when he stepped out to go. He couldn't even wear like he had the big gold belt on. It looked like it was like he couldn't even walk properly with it on. Um, I mean, when you see the match, you'll you'll get it. But um, uh, from, you know, the blood and the fact that after he he couldn't even go on to the ropes for suplex. He could, they couldn't even lift him to get him up on the ropes, on the turnbuckles. He couldn't even get up. And then they gave him a regular suplex, and he didn't get on his feet at all after that. There was a point in the match where Andrade was tagged in, and Rick rolled out underneath, and he was just lying there. And I, I was screaming like for someone to check on him, a doctor, someone to check on him. Uh, and um, he finished it, and at the end, you know, he he, he slowly he did an interview, you know, a few sentences. But to me, it was uh, I was afraid for him, and I was like, I'm not comfortable looking at this. That's alarming, really, when you think about it. But when you, you when you put it into context, it, him being you know close to death in hospital three four years ago and all that. Also, maybe this is selfish of me. I'm thinking back when he had his WWE retirement. I I was in Orlando in 2008 for the match against Michaels, and yeah. when when he came out retirement, John, two years later to face Hogan and they did the Australian tour he did bits with Impact TNA I, I was annoyed I come to terms with it over the years but mm -hmm. initially I was like we all paid our money I, I flew over from the UK and, and he was, should have stayed retired then he was in his late 50s um, as I say over time I'm less angry about it but then you know lo and behold he has this last match at 73 well, it's crazy that's why you, you don't know and I you know I can't can't answer this with 100% certainty or even 40% certainty. It was kind of like he was enabled in a lot of ways, you know, uh, and maybe him really pushing hard. I don't know if he needed the money or not. There are different conflicting stories. Is he really needing the money? Is he not needing the money? Is he just for ego? It is it just one last time. I mean, it, there's a lot of speculation about all of it. I mean, he couldn't do the roast that was scheduled at StarCast a few years ago because he was ill. So, I mean, that would have been a nice topper and have him make an appearance on a special card to honor him. Uh, and, and who knows? You know, everything is speculation. And, uh, you know, maybe he convinced Conrad that he can do it one more time. And, and they saw those early training. They, they put it together. But when it came to the actual execution of uh, what was promoted so heavily, um, 
Me personally, as somebody who's been in the business on and off for over 50 years, I was sad. And I, I, was, fr and I was frightened for him. That, that's, you know, for you to say that as well, it just goes to show, well, you know, what were the family, what were the family going through as well? Uh, you know, if, if you're Oh, they were all at ringside. I mean, uh, there was a little angle with Karen, Jarrett, and uh, Megan, uh, you know, uh, Conrad's wife, uh, Rick's daughter. There was a little hair pulling. But everyone kind of looked concerned. There was no... I mean, what was really interesting was that there were several, uh, you know, WWE Hall of Famers in the front row, Undertaker, Mick Foley, Bret Hart, uh, and others that were there, but uh, the look on their faces, uh, you could tell that they were very concerned, especially Undertaker. I mean, when uh, after the match, when Flair went over to the rail to shake his hand, and Flair looked like he didn't even know where he was half the time, but, uh, but the way Mark uh, Undertaker was whispering to him, talking to him, uh, the deep look of concern on his face. You know, it wasn't like, hey, you did it, gave him a hug. There was no smiling by him or Mick or Bret Hart that were, they were all sitting together. And uh, Michelle McCool, uh, Undertaker's wife, was sitting in, the, in that row too. Charlotte was there, but she didn't make her presence known. I may, maybe she wasn't allowed to. Uh, but yeah. most of Rick's other family was there. And it didn't look celebratory to me. Uh, it kind of looked like, thank God it's over. He did it, and thank God it's over, and he's, he's still breathing. But what happened after that and where he was taken after that, you know, I haven't called anyone to ask some of the insiders that I know. Uh, but the only rumor I heard was that he was whisked out of there pretty quickly. And so hopefully, you know, uh, hopefully he's uh, feeling better. He's always been resilient. Uh, but that literally uh, was uh, – I never thought I'd see somebody die in the ring and – Sunday night, I thought I'd see someone die from the, in the ring, which was a legend. I thought he was going to die in the ring. I mean, I've still got to watch it, but off the basis of that, I'm sure I'm going to go through the same thing. I know I'm watching it. I'm not watching it live or in real time. You know, yeah. you know, I, I want to know what's happened. But, John, I've got to get on to you. You have been in the business for so many years. This is the primary reason I'm having you on. And, you know, you've taken photographs. You've done all sorts of stuff. You're an author. Just I was looking through some of the photos you've taken over the years, man, and some of the stars. And just how, how was it? How was it back then, the business for you, when you, when you got inside? And how, how did you feel being around the business? Well, I mean, the history... The thing about wrestling in me is that I, I go into it for a certain number of years and then I, I, I leave it and then I come back. I mean, this is the third time I've come back and this is not full time for me any longer. But back when I was a kid, I was just a fan. And as a 12 year old and a 14 year old getting to go to the uh, matches for the first time live, there was a law in New York. You couldn't get in until you're 14 uh, and started taking some pictures and, you know, starting Freddie Blassie's fan club and and just get, kind of finding a knack in being able, even with a small little Instamatic camera, as they called them back then, to, uh, you know, have good timing when it comes to taking a photograph. Uh, and uh, it eventually led to uh, uh, lots of photos as an amateur. And then I finally started selling uh, photos and stories to some of the newsstand wrestling magazines at the time. 
Uh, I got to, to be a ringside photographer at Madison Square Garden, uh, which was amazing to me. And I got to travel around uh, back 50 years ago to cover uh, some of the real legends of their business, like Bruno San Martino in the beginning days of uh, Andre the Giant and Freddie Blassie and Pedro Morales and on and on and on. I mean, uh, I've, I have thousands of pictures that I shot back in the day. And also when I was even a little bit younger, eight millimeter films that I shot at ringside at Madison Square Garden, including footage of Andre the Giant's very first match in New York. And the first time he was called Andre the Giant, it's the only footage when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply of that debut that exists incredible incredible i was so, yeah. sorry carry on no it's been a, it's been great and now you know when you reminisce and look back and i get to post some of these uh, archives that i have on social media and i always get uh, really good engagement for them even though they're so old the photos uh it was a time that uh, was kind of magical for me as a photographer Amazing, amazing. Madison Square Garden, for you to extend off, you know, speaking about Madison Square Garden, how was it? I love asking people about venues that they went to when they were younger. I went there in 2013. I was there for the Hall of Fame uh, back at WrestleMania, so I got to see Bruno go into it. It was amazing uh, for me to finally get to MSG, but MSG for you, John Arezzi. Walking in that building, even for the very first time in August uh, of 1971 to see my first show, uh, there was an aura about that building. It was the Mecca and still is. I mean, I cover it I kind of ironically. I mean, uh, I, I attended every single from the very first show I went to at the Garden, which was August 30th, 1971. I went to every single show there uh, right into 1977. Didn't miss a show. Every single show. Uh, that's how magical it was. I couldn't miss the show. I couldn't not go to a card regardless of how strong it was or how weak it was but it was always exciting to be at the garden it was something special it was the mecca and i and i i started a podcast recently uh called Matt memories from madison square garden where every you know every uh, 50 years to the date of the show that i attended 50 years ago i used that as an anniversary to do a podcast about that night and what memories I have. And uh, so that's, uh, that's kind of a cool little podcast, one of the podcasts that I do. Amazing, amazing. That's it. That era, you know, I, I was born in 86. And, you know, okay. we, we, we didn't get the territories over here, not to the best of my knowledge. I, I know it was more likely than Vince had done what he'd done, you know, bought everything, didn't he? But yeah, it's nice going back and seeing the territories. Like, I've watched so much, so much of the older stuff, so it's always nice, man, just going back. But uh, total different time, wasn't it, John? To, to what it is today. I know things move on, things evolve, things mm -hmm. change. Yeah. Everything is evolution. I mean, you know, the garden is becoming a little bit more special now. Uh, and I think that if the WWE or any other promotions that are able to get in there can run on a regular basis, the fans will support it. Uh, it's just a magical place. And I was happy to be there uh, during the incredible 
title reign of uh, Pedro Morales. Uh, and then when Bruno San Martino came back in 73 to win the belt and then superstar Billy Graham getting the title. So I was there for a really good era. The last time uh, that I had actually covered a match at the Garden actually was in 78 when Bob Backlund beat, it, uh, beat Billy Graham for the title that night. And ironically, I was kicked out of the building, that, not, not out of the building, but out of Photographer's Row uh, that evening because uh, three weeks earlier, I was on TV wrestling Dusty Rhodes. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, your pictures in the program, uh, you can't take pictures here anymore. You know, you're, uh, you're, what are you, a wrestler or a photographer? What are you? Uh, so um, I wrestled as a, a brief failed experiment. Uh, I wanted to see what it would be like, and I was writing a story about it for Ring Wrestling Magazine, but that cost me, jobbing for Dusty cost me a job as a photographer, basically. How how was it getting in there with Dusty? We've got to extend off Oh, that. it was amazing. It was yeah. amazing. I mean, he, I didn't know what I was doing. I had no training. Um, and the match is on YouTube. It's myself and Sylvana Seusser against Dusty Rhodes. Uh, I had no formal training at all, like the ring and i knew people obviously and uh, got booked on that show and uh, had two matches on those tv tapings and uh, and dusty kind of was very stiff with me after i proved with to him in the very beginning of the match that i didn't know what i was doing and uh ironic uh, not ironically but really heartwarming to me was this past weekend at, at starcast i met dusty's wife and daughter who I'd never met before they started the dusty roads foundation. And I went up to them and, and told them my story about how I worked with, uh, uh, with, uh, Michelle's husband and, uh, and, and the daughter's daddy and showed them a couple pictures. And, uh, it was kind of cool for me, but yeah, wrestling dusty was amazing. And he was, he was dusty, man. He was kind of top of his game and, just explosive with popularity in the Federation at the time. And it was an honor then. And it's an honor now just to even talk about it, that I was in the ring with one of the best. What are your thoughts on, on modern wrestling, the modern product? I'd like to hear that. How, how do you feel? You know, you've come through 50 years doing, yeah. doing what you've been doing. So I know it's changed, but what are your thoughts and feelings of what we're getting now? What, what, you know, what the consumer is getting? Cause I love to, I love to ask you guys, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's evolution. I mean, everything, nothing stays the same, whether it's music or movies or anything. Wrestling 50 years ago was different than wrestling from the 30s. Uh, I liked the, you know, it was more storyline driven. It was more heels. It, it, it was a simpler process back then. And there were a lot of territories uh, to work. Um, and then, you know, when you look back into uh, the, the WrestleMania era with the Rock and Wrestling Connection in 84, that kind of changed the business. And then when you go into uh, the Attitude Era and what was going on in the 90s, that changed the business. And EC ECW changed the business. And now what's going on with AEW and the promotion and, and the presentation is changed. It's much faster. Uh, there could be, you know, uh, a much smaller attention span. So you got to keep moving things very, very quickly, where years ago you could have a storyline that would develop over two, three, four months. And now it's kind of like, it's just different. It's evolution. It's the way the generation shift happens. Uh, you know, each generation is different than the past. So uh, wrestling will change 10 years from now. It'll be different. You know, who knows? I mean, 
but uh, it, it's what I would call evolution. People said, is it better now? Is it better then? It's better for me then. For the fans today, today's the era. It's better than anything that's ever been before. So, I mean, it's personal taste. What, what do you feel with Triple H now taking the reins and Vince stepping down? I know you had, you had said about Vince in a post, you know, what he was known for and stuff. And you know what's been, you know, reported in the background, obviously, whether that had, you know, a reason for him stepping down, because I think he would have gone on longer. But yeah, what are your thoughts with Triple H now in control? You're smiling there, John. Yeah, I mean, you know, Vince McMahon um, is Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon has always been who he is. And uh, he kind of always felt Teflon. Uh, so, I mean, what's happening today, I think uh, it's for the betterment of the business, for him to remove himself and to finally, uh, finally let uh, the company go on without him. It had to be. I think Triple H is going to hopefully uh, be able to take those reins. And, and he's a smart guy. I think the WWE will get better for the, uh, for the absence of Vince McMahon and the emergence and the power dynamic shifting. Stephanie's a smart girl. Triple H is a brilliant guy. There's wonderful businessmen around them. And, uh, you know, so whatever's going to happen with WWE going forward, I think it's going to be for the better. I think even on the announcing front, uh, you know, you saw a difference in Michael Cole's call of SummerSlam and some of the TV because he's not, he's being allowed to breathe. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I think it's for the better overall. And um, Vince's, Vince's Vince, I mean, he said he'd, he'd, he'd work till he died. Uh, but now it's a forced uh, exit, and I don't think his problems are over. I really don't. I think Vince McMahon's problems are uh, there's more to come. I'm going to go back to another thing, scandal again. Yourself, Dave Meltzer, uh, Billy Graham was on there as well. You were on Donahue in 1992. I've watched it. I've watched it a few times. Yeah. Uh, it was... Even back then, look look all the stuff that's gone on, the steroids and the, the, the sex scandal with staff. And, uh, you know, you, you were on that show. Uh, he seemed slippery to me, even then, Vince, in that. And we're going back 30 years. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it was a horrible time. And that's why on my podcast every week, uh, Pro Wrestling Spotlight, I cover what I covered 30 years ago, literally almost to the week. Uh, and it just feels like deja vu because 30 years ago in 1992, I was covering all these sex scandals. And, uh, you know, even before that, uh, things were going on and, you know, a blind eye was turned. And um, it was, you know, deep down in my gut, I just kind of like and I was always accused. Oh, why are you going after him for why are you attacking? I mean, there were so many things that were that were wrong that were going on in that organization back then and the stories that I was covering from the ring boys and, and all of the, all of this horrific uh, stuff. And then, you know, now when it comes out where there's uh, hush money payments and all of these other things that were happening, it's kind of like 30 years ago was going on everybody. And even further back than that, it was going on. There were things going on. So, I mean, uh, you know, the culture is always dictated kind of by the person running the show. 
And that was the case after Vince took the promotion and bought it for a million dollars from his dad in 1982. That's when it started. And a lot of people say, well, you attack him or whatever it is. No, he's done incredible things for people. And he's made a lot of people millionaires. He's he uh, was a marketing genius, uh, revolutionary, uh, visionary, and all the things that he did for pro wrestling to take it into the mainstream and all the deals that he cut. But on the other side of the coin, you know, how many lives were ruined? How many deaths happened? Whether, you know, it's not him personally, you know, he didn't force feed wrestlers drugs. I mean, but the culture, the lifestyle, the workload, uh, the environment, the uh, mystery of what goes on behind the scenes, the true stories. Um, there will be books and movies written about Vince McMahon in the future. I'm positive of that. Were you surprised, obviously, more latterly once he went to trial and, and all the things? He was wearing the net brace. And obviously they had Jerry Jarrett in place, didn't they, if he was imprisoned? Did you mm -hmm. feel he was going to serve some jail time? Did you think his days were numbered back then? I know we're going back a bit. What did you feel? Did you think he was screwed? Well, going into, going into the trial, I mean, you felt like he had a really good shot of going away and being convicted. But uh, the prosecution, uh, you know, just bumbled the case in so many different ways. And Vince and his lawyers were just so smart and sharp, uh, from Jerry McDivitt to... Uh, I believe Laura Bravinetti was her name, the other attorney involved with that case. And Vince, of course, we're in the neck brace for a little sympathy. I don't know or not, you know, for sure. But it was kind of an orchestrated pro wrestling uh, courtroom drama with a lot of fans in there cheering. And um, it was surreal. I was at the trial every day. Uh, but, yeah, he had things in place. And that was the closest he came to kind of losing it all, I think. Uh, but he survived, and uh, it just made his reputation of being, uh, you know, untouchable, Teflon, you know. But eventually, uh, a suit of armor can only last so long, I think. And I think that suit of armor is off of him now. Mm. You wouldn't, you most definitely wouldn't get away with it today. You know, say it had happened in in the now. I think he, he would have been he would have been down, wouldn't he? It was it was different. It was different back then. Oh yeah, totally. As much I mean, as much as much as it was in the public forum, I know that, and he, you know, he was on TV and stuff with it. Uh, it's it's different now. He would have definitely served some jail time, just the way way it is. Yeah, uh, culture is different today. Obviously, I mean, things that were uh, tolerated years ago are not tolerated any longer, uh, and. Uh, I mean, it's a real interesting time to see what's going to happen uh, as we go forward into, you know, learning more about what went down and what went on. And if there's anything else that's still um, to emerge, uh, we'll have to wait and see. It's kind of like this uh, drama that's playing out in front of you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I'm going to ask, I've got something to ask here. Is Vince Russo on your Christmas card list? I've got to ask. Well, I don't, send, I don't send Christmas cards out anymore, you know. I mean, I did that, <laughs> obviously, when I was younger and years ago, like everybody does, but, you know, mailing cards out. But um, if I was to send a Christmas card out, uh, Russo would be on the list for me to send a card to. And it's everyone to say, what are you, crazy? I mean, you guys did. I mean, 
I'm listening to shows I did 30 years ago now, and I'm covering all the stuff that went down between us right now on my podcast. And I hated the guy back then. I despised him. He was my enemy. Uh, and um, But we were able to talk this stuff out publicly. It's, it's on YouTube. Uh, I mean, that's how I kind of got back into this a little bit. And uh, when uh, I heard uh, that he was talking about me on a podcast, uh, in 2018 and i decided to say all right enough is enough let's uh let's kind of talk this out so i mean he's polarizing ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit get 30, bit get 20, 20, 20, bit get 20, 20, bit get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I know me personally, I mean, the things that I had to go through with him back in 1992 and 91, I wouldn't wish on anybody. Uh, there was a lot of bad stuff that was, you know, uh, you know, when you bring someone into the business and then, you know, they, you have a difference of opinion on the philosophy of the business. And I didn't like the direction, what was going on. He wanted to get into it as a, as a, uh, a writer, a journalist or whatever. He liked the entertainment part of it. It was a match that have, should have never been, um, we should have never been partners. But if we were never partners, then he would have never been in the wrestling business. So I gave him that entree, and he went through me pretty quickly. And um, But, yeah, I mean, today uh, he texted me. I guess he, he tweeted me yesterday because uh, I was posting a few pictures of Starcast. He goes, shouldn't you be worried about the trade deadline for baseball? <laughs> uh, and I was like, of course I am. Because when we talk, we typically talk baseball. We don't even talk wrestling. Hmm. And that, you know, we talk a few times a year. I mean, it's not like we're best buddies or anything, but we have a very, we're friends. Let's put it that way. It's kind of a, it's friends. It's not enemies. It's, uh, uh, it's you know, he's a Christian man now. I mean, uh, he's a born again Christian. I mean, I, I've always had a faith in me uh, and I don't like to have hate in my heart for anybody. I just refuse to do it. I mean, it's counterproductive to life. If someone is going to, uh, uh, not be kind to you or do something to you that's uh, unscrupulous uh, or if you have a difference that leads to animosity, I just turn the page on people. I don't, I don't have time in my life to have enemies or hatred for anyone. And that's why even when Brian last and I split a year ago, I mean, um, I felt it was not a uh, good business decision on his part because I was talking to somebody, Conrad, about possibly doing some stuff outside of the podcast I did with Brian. And Brian said some really bad things about me publicly, uh, but I can't hate the guy. I'm not going to hate the guy. That's just the way he operates. What, what did he? What was he saying? What was, well, what I mean, was, we had a very was... successful podcast. I mean, he, you know, pro, pro wrestling spotlight then and now. I mean, I loved Brian's. Uh, chemistry with me he was you know the production was great the uh he knew about the history and and then conrad thompson and i had you know conrad's in alabama i'm in tennessee 
I saw all of these great things he was starting to do and I, you know, from StarCast on down. So, and he knew about me. He was like, well, everyone think, you know, always said that I'm the, the new John Arezzi. Uh, so, and he didn't know who I was and the fans told him. And we had a, we had a nice little uh, synergy and we were discussing, you know, me doing stuff with, uh, uh, with ad-free shows because I have a vast amount of archives and maybe doing some stuff with him, but, uh, nothing that pertained to my pro wrestling spotlight podcast and brian didn't like conrad for whatever reason he just don't like him and he's like if you talk to him or if you do something with him then i'm pulling the plug on your show and i was like well that's you know we're not we don't have a contract or you know there's no not even money being made here you know uh so why shouldn't i talk to somebody about some opportunities that might be beneficial for me and to share my history with a company that could actually promote it in the right way. And um, when Brian gave me like a 30-day window, I mean, you got to make a decision. And then I was like, listen, I can't not talk to him. And, and that was the end of it. And he just said, all right, the show's done. And we were doing pretty big numbers. I mean, for what, you know, not, not the, not, not anywhere near the numbers he does with Jimmy Cornette. I mean, my goodness, but to show you, I mean, that you turn the page on stuff. It's like, I still listen to the two Cornette podcast every week. I just enjoy Jimmy and I like their banter and their chemistry. And, but you know, that kind of hurt, it hurt me when he did pull the plug. Cause I enjoyed that synergy and I enjoyed that podcast with him. And, uh, but, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, how can I hate somebody? I'm not going to hate him. You know, that's the way he does business and let him, let him do what he does, you know? So, and I'm doing my podcast now with Bob Smith, who was a, you know, historic wrestling journalist for pro wrestling illustrated. And, and it's a nice chemistry. Um, it's not the same show I did with Brian, but it still covers what I did and it covers the history of the business. And I enjoy it every week. John Arezzi, I've got to ask you, was there ever a talent wrestler who you felt should have been more stratospheric, you know, maybe won, won more titles and stuff? Was there ever a guy that was underrated? I like asking you guys. I'm, I'm sure I'm sure there is, is some guys that yeah, I'd like to find out from your um, perspective. I mean, I mean, in my perspective from years and years ago, I always uh, gravitated to Don Leo Jonathan as a big man at six foot nine that I felt should have been a world champion. A lot of people may not know about Don Leo Jonathan, but he was an amazing talent back then. Uh, when you're talking about even the 90s, so Eddie Gilbert, you know, even though Eddie had his demons, I mean, Eddie was just a phenomenal performer. Uh, guys like Chris Candido always impressed me and unfortunately not here anymore. I mean, um, so, I mean, those are the guys that kind of stood out for me as people I didn't think had their opportunity. They were smaller and, you know, guys were being pushed that were much larger, but, uh, uh, but there are there are guys in every era that should have been, and whether they didn't get there because of personal demons or politics or not getting pushed by the right people, I mean it's uh, just the nature of the business. Going to ask you as well, going into into the future now. Do you catch much AEW? What what do you feel that Tony Khan's doing there? Uh, I've got I've got my opinions which I'll speak mm -hmm. about in a moment. But yeah, how how do you feel they're doing? You know, three years in now. Yeah. What, what your thoughts? Well, I think that they, they built a, built an organization and they got uh, great TV coverage and they got a lot of talent. Uh, I think that they have a, an audience uh, for their product. 
you know, whether it's I love some of it, some of it I don't like. I mean, I, I like I watch every wrestling show with my uh, remote. I just pass through the stuff I don't want to see. And it's just selective viewing. So I think Tony is a, a direct, not direct, but he's they're not going anywhere. They're going to grow. They're going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, so whether you like it or don't like it, it's going to be there. But I think they're doing some wonderful things and not so wonderful things. Just like WWE, they're doing some great things and not so great things. I, I just but as fans, we love it all, don't we? We, we uh, still love it. I, I think the roster, I know obviously they've acquired Ring of Honor, they're doing that as well. I get I get it. I just find sometimes it's just too many. There's too many. The roster, I know you've got to have a roster, a relatively you know well-sized roster, and and WWE, it's the same over the years. They've had massive roster. But yeah, I just think there's guys upon guys. There's all these factions going on. I think it's it's kind of, that's the only criticism I would have. I watch it yeah. every week, religiously, John. But I just think the roster, it's just crazy. I know you need talent. Yeah, there's too many, but there's not a lot of places to work. There's not a lot of places to no, work no, that no, make money, no. at least. I mean, yeah. there are two promotions where you can actually make money and to live on. And there's only a handful of guys on the indies that make, right. you know, big, big m money in the indies, don't they? Yeah, I agree. Now, you came out of the wrestling business at various times, but I know you're also involved in the music business. So I'd like to come away from the topic of wrestling. You know, I don't like to pigeonhole my guests and search on one topic. So, yeah, mm -hmm. going in, you know, being in the music business and how that came to be. Uh, I've always loved music. Uh, I mean, from the time I was a little boy and went to the Beatles uh, show at Shea Stadium, which was my first concert when I was nine. And I just had a fascination and a love for the business. I mean, I got into music kind of like unexpectedly in 1981. I was hired to work for the New York Mets in their minor league uh, system as an executive uh, fresh out of college, uh, working for uh, a team that... Um, I was in the minors, and one night I went to a nightclub, I mean, a little bar, a uh, little dive bar, and there was a band that was on stage with this female singer that I totally was like, fl she floored me how good she was. And, and uh, uh, you know, fast forward, I, I quit my job with the Mets to start managing her, uh, and uh, she became one of the iconic figures in country music. Her name was Patti Loveless, uh, I mean, a true Hall of Famer. Uh, so I got involved with her when she was in rock and roll. And and that kind of, you know, brought me into the business of music, which was really, I would say, a step above wrestling when it comes to the types of individuals you got to deal with on you know, the internal side of it. Uh, so throughout the 80s, and I was totally removed from wrestling at this point, really. Uh, I was uh, I started a management company out of New York and I managed a number of different artists, uh, so maybe too many artists. Um, and uh, it gave me the opportunity to uh, work in artist development. And then uh, that company went under in 1989. And that's when I filtered back into pro wrestling and began the pro wrestling spotlight radio show. Uh, and then when I got sick of pro wrestling in 96, I went back into music, uh, this time in promotions and marketing for a country music station in New York, which eventually led to my being hired to open an office for a TV network here in Nashville uh, in 2000. And I was the head of music marketing for a company called Great American Country Television. Uh, and then it led to my, uh, uh, in 2010, uh, going over to become the vice president of a, a record label 
called Black River Entertainment, uh, where I discovered a kid named Kelsey Ballerini, who's probably one of the top uh, artists uh, today uh, in country and crossing over to pop. And so, uh, yeah, I've always had the ability to identify talent. And so it's something I enjoyed, but the music business certainly changed. Uh, I mean, I was getting older and the artists were getting younger. I didn't have the same, uh, I wasn't on the same plane. I mean, you know, artists were different. I'm getting older. It's generational. Uh, and uh, at that time, uh, you know, over in uh, what really got me out of music, and I'm still kind of in it in a way, but um, uh, I started a crowdfunding company for emerging artists called the Band Twango with a friend of mine who I used to manage in New York. And we were uh, funding artists' careers from their fan bases and opening doors to Nashville for them, which was kind of cool. And then the pandemic hit in 2020. And uh, then everything kind of shut down. So that was kind of the exit. Uh, and uh, right now, I still would like to get involved on the marketing or branding uh, part uh, of an artist's career. So I'm still out there doing a little consulting but uh, and still talking to people about doing stuff in music. Because wrestling doesn't make a living for me. It never has. It's always been a love of the business. But uh, I have never been able to really make a living in pro wrestling. And, and uh, this go round with podcasting and all the other little things that I've done, it's more, of a, it's more of a pleasure to me to be a historian and to relive history and share history with fans than it is to make a buck off of them. Cool, man. That's cool. In terms of music, I've got to ask you. So, mm -hmm. obviously, the Beatles, the Beatles are up there for you. Other, other artists, musicians, bands that you hold in, you know, in in the high high echelon. Yeah, I would. I, I, you know, I'm a child of the '60s and '70s, so that's where kind of my passion uh, goes to. When you're talking about uh, even artists like Elton John, who I have always been, I've always been singer songwriter type of guy, you know. Uh, I've I like bands like the Eagles and Dan Fogelberg and I, Queen I loved. I mean, Queen was one of my favorite acts. Um, and uh, in the country space, I mean, there are several country acts that, you know, you, you dig like Brad Paisley and George Strait. I was never a he heavy metal guy at all. I mean, I was never into that uh, genre of music, though I respected it. And, you know, uh, as I respect anyone who's out there making music, but uh, my tastes are really varied. When I listen to my music today, which I typically do every day, it's a wide variety of different eras, decades, and, and formats. Uh, but I, I do generate, I, I do gravitate to singer-songwriters. Yeah, artists, artists traditionally, I mean, after the 70s was over with, I mean, and the 80s even, you, you, you make your money from, from touring, and and merch for the most part because today with streaming and, and the percentages of a penny that you get for a stream i mean you cannot make money anymore as a recording artist because of streaming you can't the labels are making billions the publishing companies are making billions but it doesn't trickle down to the writers and to the artists that's why touring is so important sponsorships um, merchandise, you know, those ancillary revenue streams. Uh, but it's really sad that, you know, someone can write a song 
and then you don't really make money from it. But the iconic artists of the day are making hundreds of millions of dollars selling their catalogs to Universal and other companies. I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. But you're not going to see that anymore. It's going to be those artists from back then because the artists today, their catalogs are not going to be worth any, anything uh, that the artists of yesteryear. Uh, had the valuation of their catalogs uh, crazy. Can only manage what the Beatles catalog would be worth today. It's next, next level, next level, and Un- unbelievable, unbelievable. It's nice. It's nice to get on the topic of music now. Obviously, I want to get on to the topic of baseball. Now, yep. you, you're a, you're a Met, you're a Mets fan, aren't you? I am yes, correct. Yes, I am correct. Yes. Now, I'm a diehard Mets fan. Yes, I'm I am. not. I'm not well versed in baseball. I, I followed the NBA, especially in the '90s when Jordan was still around. But yeah, uh, when we were over in the states, I never got round to a baseball game. I've always wanted to. I, I find it complicated. The rules. You'll probably laugh hearing this, but I can't get my head around it. I have watched little bits here and there over the years. Yeah, it's the rules for me. I think I just need to read a book. <laughs> well, it's kind of like an American who uh, goes to a football game, right? I mean, the Nashville Nashville has a soccer team now, yeah, and it's you know it's soccer, but you know it's football over in the UK and uh, Europe, I guess, right? Absolutely. There so the rules there confuse me. I went to a match uh, not too long ago. And uh, I was kind of like, what does that mean? Or what does this mean? And I just wasn't versed in uh, the rules of the game. So uh, it was confusing to me. Uh, But, uh, you know, for me, baseball has always been part of my life. I mean, I discovered uh, baseball kind of the same time I discovered music in 1966. And my uncle took me to a baseball game, which was a Mets game. And I fell in love with them. And and I was on July 3rd in 66. And then August 23rd, I went to Shea Stadium again. And I saw the Beatles. So... Within a month of each other, I saw the two things that changed my life, baseball and the Beatles. But uh, the game is uh, still in my blood, and I'm actually in, uh, in, a, in the peripheral of the game because uh, my old roommate with the Mets from 41 years ago, uh, he was their, uh, one of their number one draft picks. His name was John Gibbons. He was a catcher for the New York Mets. Uh, we were roommates back then. He went on to become um, a member of the 1986 World Champion New York Mets and uh, later on managed uh, the Toronto Blue Jays for 10 years. And uh, he's iconic. And I'm working with John now, um, uh, representing him. And we have uh, a book deal for him that's coming out next year. It's uh, John Gibbons. It's called Gibby. Uh, tales of a baseball lifer because he spent his life in baseball and we've developed a podcast that uh, we're going out with uh, in September we have calls today actually with the major sponsors and a major radio distributor so uh, uh, you know here we are all these years later I'm 
kind of still in baseball. And ironically, my book, Matt Memories, which uh, is out on Amazon or anywhere you buy a book, there's John on the cover with me from 1981. I mean, uh, I love baseball so much that I wanted to actually call this book, I Should Have Stayed in Baseball. But the publisher said, well, you know, we're marketing it more towards the wrestling people. But uh, baseball is, if I had to do it all over again, I would uh, definitely spend an entire career in baseball rather than anything else. What What are your thoughts on it? You know, in the current times, uh, are you more a purist of the old old times with with the mats and and you know the baseball? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm a I'm a purist like I am with wrestling. As a wrestling purist in baseball, the rules have changed. There's a lot of different things that they do now that they didn't do years ago. Uh, obviously, the dynamics of the game has changed in a lot of different ways. The analytics of the game has changed it dramatically and the money that's involved with the game with some of these players is just uh incredible i mean when a uh, when a guy named juan soto who's 23 years old gets offered a 450 million dollar contract from his team and turns it down because he thinks he's worth more i mean that's insanity but that's also reality uh there were figures that came out yesterday that ranked the new york yankees uh, valuation at seven billion dollars now, so uh, it's a lot of money in the game, but it's changed like everything else does. It's the same with the same with soccer, football. What they get well, paid, big money. Uh, Mbappe, Mbappe, who's at Paris Saint Germain, like he's on mm-hmm. he's on a million million dollars a week, which is which is big for soccer. I know the baseball it's, contracts are higher. It's big for anything, my friend. <laughs> That's uh, a lot of dough. It was like, and he's got the problem. I've got with that is it's player power. Where it was never about that years ago, you know what I mean. The players are yeah. bigger than the than the clubs and the teams. I'm sure that's the same with the baseball. Yes, yeah, it's crazy. It's unreal. It's unreal. Right, too bad, too bad, too bad we can't make money like that podcasting, right? <laughs> Imagine, yeah, that would be, be good. nice. That would be nice. Yes, yes. It's just uh, with the with the podcasting. It's just it was crazy. It's just crazy how many wrestling ones there are. It's it's mental, and also obviously through COVID, there was a hell of a lot more as well. People need people yeah. needed something to do, John. Oh yeah, without a doubt. That's when I started mine. It was like uh, I'd like to just say in closing, if you can just promote the podcast, you've got a okay. page, you've got a Patreon as well. I've got, got it all. Give... Got every little bit of everything. Yeah. Uh, if you want to, first and foremost, listen to the podcast. All you got to do is go to your favorite. A uh, place where you listen to your podcast. It's called John Arezzi's Pro Wrestling Spotlight. Or if you're really into long ago history, Matt Memories from Madison Square Garden is also out everywhere. Uh, Patreon, you can support. I have on my Patreon page, I have everything from the entire archives of the Pro Wrestling Spotlight radio show dating back to 1989 and even further back, classic audio from the 70s. I have uh, samples of my 8mm films from Madison Square Garden. I have uploads of uh, photo sets. Um, so that's at patreon.com slash John Arezzi. Five bucks a month gets you in the door, as they say, and there are several other tiers you can go into. Instagram, it's at John Arezzi. Twitter, it's at John Arezzi. And the book, Matt Memories, is out there and uh, available everywhere still. Uh, and if you'd like a signed and numbered copy of it, all you got to do is send me an email, john at mattmemories.com, and I'll send you a link where you can order it directly, and I'll personally sign it and number it for you. Amazing. I know a lot of people who like their old school wrestling as well, John. They'd be very interested in that book. No question, no question. I know a lot of like, lot of my friends are in, into the, 
into the old school. So yeah, that's cool, man. Thank you, well, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for sparing the time. I know you got a busy day, as you were just alluding to just before. So yeah, my guest today, pro wrestling historian, it is John Arezzi. He's come on to Stu's Wrestling Podcast, and it's just great. I could have had you on for several hours, sir. So I'm sure we will oh, get you back. We'll, we'll do it again. We'll, we'll do it again, uh, yeah. Stu. I really appreciate Abs- it. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you, thank you very much for coming on, man. You're welcome. It was an absolute honor having John Arezzi, a man so well known in the wrestling business. I learned a lot as well, but it's just, I think the fact he's done so much in the business, photography, his radio show is now podcast. He's an author, you know, he's got his book out. Matt Memory's a fantastic book. And just everything he's attained and been able to do within the business is fantastic. A humble man, a very, very humble man. And a lot of insight there into pro wrestling, how it's changed, how it is now. He doesn't mind it now as well. You know, a lot of guys who've watched it years ago are more akin to the old school wrestling. But I think he does. He appreciates modern wrestling as well, so that's always good. So, yeah, a big thank you to John Arezzi coming on with his wealth of knowledge and experience in the business. And we will see you very, very soon for episode 125 of Stu's Wrestling Podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply.